it all depends on what you want to do with it. You know, where do you want to go with the idea? Uh, your, your average micronationalist literally will start out with a name, maybe a flag, and you know, he or she is the king or queen or something along that line. Then where do you go with that idea? Well, you know, that was the question that uh, that I asked myself back when I was 15, back in 1977. That this is where I've gone with it. So uh, yeah, here, here's our country, and of course, it, it is a work always a work in progress because nations are not static. Nations don't stay the same every single day. They something is constantly changing. So yeah, we, we've done quite a bit of communication because a lot of schools have thought of this as an idea all the way with Britain. I think we did one in Britain uh, and then, of course, all over the U.S. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 59. Hello and welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Follow me on Facebook or Twitter or the other social media and subscribe to my YouTube page by clicking the buttons on my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. While you're on that podcast's page, give me your email address, and I'll send you a copy of my free e-cookbook, Foolproof Muffins, recipes that work every time. And by the way, it is getting to be fall. Fall means pumpkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a pumpkin muffin recipe, and really it is pretty good. And you can even leave out the spice, but why would you do that? You can support the Culinary Libertarian Show by clicking on the Bitcoin, Patreon, or PayPal tabs and throw a few pennies my way or a few dollars to help keep the lights on and keep the podcast going. You can also support the show with a purchase of a coffee mug from my Cranky Without Coffee mug store. Just click the banner and that'll take you over to the store where you'll find some sweet and sassy mugs some government is bad mugs, uh, some movie quotes, and a few other things. One of the best ways to support the show is with a few clicks of the mouse on your favorite podcatcher. Just give the show a five-star rating and leave a review. Those kinds of interactions trigger the little algorithm mice inside, and they move the show up so more people can find it and more people can listen. My guest today is His Excellency, President Kevin Baugh of the Republic of Malaysia. The Republic of Malaysia is a micronation founded by President Baugh in 1977, existing fully within the United States in the state of Nevada. We're going to discuss the politics of running a small sovereign nation as well as some of the diplomatic challenges, including logistical challenges of proclaiming oneself sovereign. Welcome, President Baugh. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm doing very well. So before we get started on some of the questions, let's just take a minute and give us a little bit of your background and how it came to be that you are the president of the Republic of Malaysia. Have I pronounced it correctly? It's actually Malaysia. Okay. Oh, that's that's kind of an unusual pronunciation. Pronunciation usually I get Malaysia or some something weird like that, uh, or people just give up. <laughs> I can't pronounce that. Forget it. Well, the Republic of Malaysia. Well, let's start from the beginning. I am President Kevin Baugh 
the president, founder, uh, ruler, uh, dictator of the Republic of Malaysia. And the Republic of Malaysia is a tiny self-declared country. It is located uh, in western Nevada, not too far from Reno, uh, Nevada. It was originally founded on 26 May of 1977. Um, back then, it was called the Grand Republic of Bolstein. And uh, my friend James was the king, and I was the prime minister. And then uh, he moved on to other things. But I stayed with the idea of having uh, having my own country. And uh, when I obtained property here within northern Nevada in 1998, I changed the name to Malaysia and ran the flag up the flagpole. And we've been going strong as a country ever since. That's an interesting history. And so is is there a celebration in May? Yes, absolutely. It's called Founders Day. So every 26 May, especially when it's around a weekend or something like that, because, you know, who wants to have a big party on, on a Tuesday? Uh, every 26 May, we do have a party celebrating uh, the birthday of our nation. Absolutely. Fabulous. So at first glance, this has a novelty to it. And I suppose to some degree, that's the draw. But one could also see political overtones, a personal secession, if you will. Are you also making a statement about autonomy? Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is a combination of two things. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a little bit of, um, I mean, creativity, humor, maybe a little political satire. Uh, but we do consider ourselves to be a very tiny, uh, but nevertheless, uh, sovereign nation. Um, we are, of course, dependent on the U.S. because we are so small uh, for you know just about everything, but resource-wise, that is. But we do consider ourselves to be sovereign. Um, probably, uh, I guess, best comparison might be uh, to many Native American tribes who, you know, they have their sovereign nation uh, within a nation, if you will. Hmm, so that's okay. that's how we see ourselves. As a sovereign nation, are you recognized by the U.S.? No, we are not recognized by the U.S. or any other. Uh, I guess, so-called established country. Um, the U.S., of course, would want to recognize some other country just, you know, starting itself up from from amongst, from within itself, if you will. And other countries try to avoid that sort of thing, too, because of the potential for disastrous diplomatic incidents. <laughs> so well, they, they don't want that. Well, n nobody wants that. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, maybe uh, some folks. Well, no, that's probably true. Uh, the chaos. Uh, how big is Malaysia? Uh, Malasia has a total of 11.3 acres. Um, it is in three different, um, I guess, parcels or exclaves, as we call them. Uh, the principal one being here within northern Nevada, which is 1.3 acres in size. And then the other two uh, exclaves are located in uh, one in southern California, out in the desert, and one in northern California, also sort of out in the desert, a little ways away from anything. So, And those two areas are uninhabited, so pretty much the heart of the nation is what we have right here, uh, here within uh, northern Nevada. And do you have citizens? We do. We have a total of 34 citizens, almost 35. Uh, any day now, we'll have our 35th citizen <laughs> arriving, another, grand, another well, grandchild on the way. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, Malasia is a family nation, so all of our citizens are family members. And uh, along with that, our dogs are also citizens. So we have four canine citizens, and the remainder are humans. Uh, so we'll be 30, 31 human citizens, if you will. Um, the majority... Um, don't actually live here within Malasia. They are uh, expatriates living over the border in the U.S. So here, resident in our nation right now, we have five human citizens and uh, three canine citizens. So it's getting full. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Does Especially when the whole family comes over. Then. No kidding, I'm sure. Does Malasia have a GDP? 
Oh, uh, wait. Yes, our GDP is about 1200 bucks. Okay, and... We are, after all, a developing nation. Sure, well... That's just the, the, the money that is earned by our nation, for our nation, if you will, within our nation. That doesn't count... Uh, I don't know, what's the phrase they use for folks that send money from overseas to... You know, <laughs> people that live outside Malaysia. That I, I don't think there's a kind phrase for that. Okay, and so you mentioned money, so I want to ask you: Does uh, do you have your own money or currency, and is it redeemable? Um, yes, we do have our own currency. Our money is called the valora, um, and that is actually uh, the uh, Esperanto word for valuable. Esperanto is one of our two second uh, languages, and. Um, Yes, it is redeemable, but mostly just here in Malasia. You can't if you bring it in from outside Malasia, we'll definitely honor it. Or if you come here and visit the Bank of Malasia on a tour, uh, you can exchange your currency, whatever that might be, U.S. dollars, uh, for Malasian valora. Our uh, money, uh, interestingly enough, is not based on the gold or silver standard or platinum. Nothing worthless like that. No, it is based on chocolate chip cookie dough. So we are on the chocolate chip cookie dough standard here in Malasia. And is that a fairly stable commodity, or does it fluctuate a lot? Actually, it's real good, because it is so noticeable when people come visit the country. Uh, they quite often bring us large tubes of cookie dough, and uh, you know we'll, we'll return it with uh, with Valora, which is, of course, printed right here in our nation. So we do pretty well. It's kind of a, kind of a profitable situation. That's pretty sweet. So then I suppose you turn the cookie dough into cookies, and... Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. It works out. It works out all the way around. That sounds like a heck of a deal. <laughs> it is a good deal. <laughs> so I, I do know that you have a jail, and one might be caged for at least one particular offense. What is that, and why is that particular thing such a big issue? Well, I'm not sure. We have several particular offenses. Well, I was referring to the onion. Ah, uh, yes. Well, onions and spinach are both banned here uh, within the Republic of Malaysia simply because we don't like them. So it's primarily the we is me, but as the president and dictator, I can make rules like that. And fair enough. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, yes, we rarely have onions here in our nation. And uh, if we do, we have to send them right back out of the country. <laughs> and and what, is the, what is the term of the jail sentence? Well, it usually works out to be a very brief visit. Uh, what will happen is tourists will come in. And uh, for some reason, they really like get, being thrown in jail. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it's just sort of a thing. You visit a foreign country, you get thrown in jail. I, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is. So we'll throw them in jail, and the term will be just a couple of minutes for, uh, for a photo op. We did. Our chief constable, uh, who is uh, uh, my daughter, Alexis, she, uh, she is in charge of law enforcement in the country. And when the jail was built a couple of years ago, she and her friend tested it out and slept in it one night. So it is, uh, it's habitable. I probably wouldn't want to spend too much time in it. But it <laughs> well, no, I would imagine the uh, even in your part of Las Vegas, I don't, or uh, in Nevada. No, I've never been to Nevada, so I, it, it looks pretty flat and hot, a lot like my parts of Oregon. So in the summertime, it's probably best to not be there. You know, our area though is kind of like Eastern Oregon. Um, so it's not necessarily, it's hot in the summer, of course, but it's also pretty cold in the wintertime because it's, it's sort of uh, near the mountains. And uh, so we have that kind of that same eastern Oregon look, too. There's a lot of sagebrush and so forth. It's not as hot as Vegas. Probably a lot of wind, too. Yes, it's very windy. Yeah, very, very windy um, pretty much all the time. So we have had structures and fences and so forth blown over in Malasia on many occasions. 
We, uh, we, we moved to Oregon a couple of years ago when I'm an East Coast flatlander my whole life. So I thought I knew what winds were. <laughs> no. I mean, Michigan had, listen, snowstorms in Michigan. I know about winter storms. But just the regular wind on any given day in the mountains in Oregon, has, I, I, I like to fly my college banners. It is destroyed. I've gone through three or four banners. I've never seen wind like this. It's amazing. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have, the, of course, the same thing, a lot of wind. Although, officially, the weather in Malasia is always perfect. It's about 70 degrees um, Fahrenheit. The rain, uh, rain only falls at night when it's not inconvenient. However, our tiny country is so close to the U.S. border that their crappy weather blows in all the time. <laughs> what can you do? That's fabulous. Anytime we have tourists here and we're like, you know, it's windy, you know, it's windy or, or it might be some rain coming. I'm like, that's American rain. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so does Malasia have an income or sales tax? We don't. Actually, there's no taxes within, within Malasia. Our country is sort of communal when it comes to money, if you, if you will. Um, it's not a communist type thing, but we sort of all sort of contribute to the greater good. And uh, so there's no taxes. And uh Everyone just sort of pulls his weight in this little country and kind of, kind of does what what needs to be done to make life good. Well, then that that's, you know, it sounds almost entirely voluntary, and there's nothing wrong with voluntary. No, it really is voluntary. Yeah, there's no mandatory here, and people come and go at will. So it is a dictatorship, of course, but that's really just more of a term <laughs> because and we all everyone gets along very well. So there's no real reason to be dictatorial <laughs> well. unless it comes to onions. Sure, or Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, for Malassians working abroad, since I'm sure the U.S. is not going to miss any opportunities to take money in any way they can, uh, how how is how does the tax return part works? If 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 the U.S. doesn't recognize you as a country, and you earn an income in the U.S., this sounds like there's a challenge here. Well, actually, no. We do pay taxes to the U.S., um, and part of that, of course, is for survival because we're so small. Mm-hmm. That's probably the number one way for anybody, anybody, anyone's dreams to get squashed is to not pay your taxes, uh, you know, let alone the dream of having one's own country. Uh, but we call our ta- the taxes we pay, we call them foreign aid. So we give the United <laughs> States foreign aid. <laughs> and, you know, so far they're pretty happy with it. You've seen their roads. They need all the help they can get. So, you know, we're, we're happy to contribute and help those poor folks out. Well, yeah, I, uh, there's, there's episodes alone to be made on the mismanagement of foreign aid. Oh, yes, yes. Beyond, beyond just episodes, volumes yeah. upon volumes. But, uh, True enough. Anyway. So, no, not today. Uh, I would imagine that immigration and border security in the middle of the desert is not a major problem. But... Uh, do you have, do you need a self-defense? Well, we do. Uh, we do have self-defense, of course, within the nation. We have our constabulary uh, headed by our chief constable, as previously mentioned. And then we also have the Malasian Navy. Um, our Navy is in charge of, uh, I guess, you know, military operations, uh, I guess, within and without the nation, if you will. Yes, we do have a Navy, even though we don't actually have any water. So <laughs> we don't have an Army or an Air Force, just a Navy. <laughs> Interesting. And so that is that is our uh, I guess means of defense. So far, we've been uh, involved in a couple little minor skirmishes, if you will. Uh, we had the Mustachistan War going on about I don't know however many years ago that was. 
how many years ago was that? Well, 13 years ago. Uh, but that was really more just to see what a war would look like between two micronations than it was an actual thing. And then, of course, we have the current war uh, that you're probably aware of going on with uh, the nation of East Germany. Did you know about that one? I did. I read about I read about that, yes. So I would imagine a country with no air force and a landlocked navy would be quite challenged to get to the now defunct nation of East Germany to wage any kind of a battle. So it must present must present some real challenges. Well, the, the war we expect will probably go on forever. For if we were even able to reach uh, the only extant piece of uh, of uh, East Germany left, which is a tiny island off the coast of Cuba, uh, if we were even even able to get there, there's no one with whom to I guess go to go to battle with, or uh, or. I don't know, arrange a peace treaty, something like that, because the island's basically uninhabited, <laughs> except for marine iguanas. Yeah, but they don't care. They're really not worried about it. So, <laughs> they might like the spinach and the onions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, so we expect that the war will go on probably pretty much forever, and uh, and that's okay. Again, there's a little bit of political satire here in Malasia, and uh, it, it's hard not to poke fun at our giant neighbor around us sometimes. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, you know, it also gives us a, a sort of an eternal enemy, if you will, you know, someone with whom we can blame upon whom we can blame all of our ills. And, uh, you know, if something goes wrong, it's probably the fault of those East Germans. Except the weather, of course, that's the U S's fault. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that, yeah, it works pretty well to have this never ending war. <laughs> That's yeah, good. And, and the body count is almost non-existent. So that's also, I mean, that's, well, see, that's good. It's maybe the best war there is, is nobody gets hurt. And we do sell war bonds, so we actually kind of make a little bit of a profit on it. <laughs> well, listen, don't let the leftists hear that. They're going to be, oh, my gosh, we need a war. Yeah, right. <laughs> So the idea of a small republic is interesting, and I know there are ANCAPs who quip with some hopeful fondness that one day in ANCAPistan, things are going to be such and such. Well, as it happens, Malaysia is not the only republic. In fact, from what I read, there are more than a handful of them. So what's going on out there, and how can we start our own republic? Mr. President, before we learn about the micronations around the world, let me talk to the people about your neighbors who surround you and their founding. Folks, founding a micronation or a macronation is a big deal. There is more than expected that goes into this. We have our own history, which unfortunately has become muddied or completely stepped over. To get a handle on the founding, the thoughts which went into the founding, and the numerous constitutions which did and do exist in our union, check out McClanahan Academy's American Constitutions class. Yes, that is plural. Both the left and right rest firmly on their idea of their version of the U.S. Constitution. Is it elastic and a living, breathing document, or is it just a document of few federal powers with the vast majority of those powers and decisions left to the several states? Find out what you never knew, for you were never taught, about the U.S. constitutions and the state constitutions using my affiliate link, 
culinarylibertarian.com slash American Constitutions. Learn about the Articles of Confederation, the Confederate States Constitution, and more. The course is 40 lectures starting from ancient Greece and going all the way up to the present day. The Clanhan Academy, serious history for people serious about history. Click over culinarylibertarian.com slash American Constitutions to learn more and to subscribe. Now, back to President Boss. Well, um, there are actually a, a very large number of what's called micronations, and uh, they have a varying level of seriousness uh, uh, and, and also a varying level of activity, uh, you know, depending on what they do and you know how much, uh, I guess, their income is, you know, what, what they can build or if they have real estate to claim or something along that line. Uh, but I mean, if you're looking for something along that line to, to start your own nation, um, it's probably not a terrible thing to have some land that you can basically claim to be your own. Um, but I think it's also important to have a little bit of a sense of humor um, because the U.S. doesn't. And so if you're having <laughs> a, a micronation within the United States uh, uh, and also, unfortunately, going back to what we just talked about earlier, uh, for a sense of for, you know purpose of survival is you probably will need to pay your taxes. Um, I mean, you can pretty much get away with just about anything in the U.S. Uh, as long as maybe you don't shoot somebody or something and pay your taxes because money always talks in this kind in that country. Yeah. So uh, so as long as you pay your taxes, uh, call it foreign aid, and you can have your your little piece of real estate out in the middle of nowhere and put your flag up and and uh, pretty much all is well. And you'll have a good time having your own country. Um, and of course, what this does is it, is it brings some certain some certain realities. There's only so far you can go with the idea of having your own nation. Having personal sovereignty is one thing. Having physical sovereignty is a little bit harder because I mean maybe unless you have a a fairly self sufficient farm going or something like that where you could pretty much live without any assistance from out from the outside. Otherwise, you're probably going to be always dependent on the U.S. or or, or whatever nation is around your. Uh, your planned micronation. Yeah, and they're not necessarily going to be doing it for cooperation's sake. No, probably not. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, I guess, again, keep a sense of humor and pay your taxes. <laughs> Did I? Just about anything. <laughs> maybe I misread this or thought I read something that the presidents and excellencies and whatever their titles are from these micronations have a convention? Yeah, every couple of years we do. We just came back from one in July up in uh, Canada, outside Toronto. Um, it's called MicroCon. Um, I actually invented it uh, about, what was this? It was about four, four, a little over four and a half years, four and a half years ago. Uh, our first one was in Anaheim, and our second one uh, was in Atlanta. And yeah, it was, it's really a gathering of ideas. Um, because, there, again, there are different approaches to what makes a country. Um, one of my favorite, obviously, besides Malasia, uh, is um, a nation called, um, I think it's called Obsidia. That's it. It's called Obsidia, and their entire nation is a rock about maybe six or eight inches across that the young lady carries around in a box. And, uh, and so if you want to want to see her whole nation, she opens up the box. You get to touch it. She can point to the highest point in her country. It's right there. You know, that kind of thing. But her idea is that nations don't necessarily need to have borders. They need to be people that just sort of 
uh, get along, have a general similar maybe culture and so forth, but let's not really focus on this whole uh, whole border thing. Let's just sort of get together as humanity. Um, and so woman, she pokes fun at the idea of that by having her whole country be in Iraq. So I kind of digress there a little bit. But anyway, the idea is we do get together at this uh, this microcon convention and just sort of exchange ideas. What makes a country and what are you doing with your country and, and uh, you know, what, what what difference are you making in your tiny part of the world? That kind of thing. That's that's fascinating. This is something I would never have occurred to me to think that this is the case, and and yet I was so what hundreds of them maybe. Yeah, definitely hundreds. There's about two hundred. It depends on if you draw a line of what kind of micronation you're talking about. So, I mean, because there's an entire community of micronations. Um, that, that don't even call themselves micronations. They're just sort of like this online living type thing, almost like the Sims game that was ah. a few years ago. Yeah, there, there is something like that. What the heck is it called? Doesn't matter. Anyway, so I mean, then you go from there to the folks that you know have a website or have a, you know, and then and or whatever, some sort of you know web presence beyond that, whatever that program is that, whose name escapes me. And then you get into the, you know, the folks like like ourselves that actually have some territory and claim it or. Uh, some sort of physical presence on, on Earth outside of the internet, and uh, and that that's when that's when it really gets interesting <laughs> to me anyway. <laughs> what was the sort of gray area in the law, or I mean, how how was it that you managed to parcel out this piece of land and claim this? I mean, it's well, is, I mean, is this just fancy reading, or is there something legitimate? Um, there is no, there's no legitimacy or illegitimacy. Um, it's, it's not acknowledged as even being a thing, uh, by the U S government. Um, because we don't pose a threat, they don't really care what we do is really what it comes down to. I mean, if we post some sort of threat or I don't know, we're running drugs through here or stockpiling weapons like those guys up there in Montana, you know, that, that kind of thing. Well, then there's a problem, but otherwise I think the U S just kind of, they are aware of us. I'm certain of it. Um, they just kind of look at Molossi as sort of like a fancy art project. Hmm. And, uh, you know, again, we pay our dues, and so they don't care what we do. <laughs> really. And what uh, of the micronations that you're familiar with? What what's the biggest of the biggest? I mean, how, how how big can these things get? Size wise, actual physical uh, wise. Well, either either acreage or population or hmm. probably the biggest. Well, okay, population is one of those weird areas because a lot of micronations will like to claim like the entire city that they're sitting next to. Uh-huh. Of course, nobody in the city is aware of that. So, you know, here's a micronation you know, with 5 million so. people in it, <laughs> but nobody in the, in the, in the city, outside of those two or three that are running the nation are aware they're citizens of another country. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so population isn't the first best uh, uh, no. meter for, Okay. What about so acreage certainly isn't is less and possibly even population wise is um, the uh, principality of Hutt River, which is located in far western Australia, northwest of Perth, and um, northeast of Perth. And uh, they actually had a farm, have a farm, a very large farm. I think there's like 100 square miles or something like that. And um, so they've got a, a huge amount of real estate because it is a farm. And they've been going on as a micronation now for uh, 50 years, I think, since 1969. Their prince just recently uh, died, and his son came in, came in as the uh, as his successor as the prince. And 
They're a pretty decent tourist attraction if you happen to be, you know, somewhere in, you know, far northwestern Australia. Uh, so they get a lot of folks that visiting, but because they have large real estate, they all and a functional farm. They also have a large number of people that live there. I think we're upwards of a of a hundred folks live there uh, on the farm. So then they would be, you know, Hut River citizens, if you will. So they're probably up there when it comes to population, actual real people that are aware they're in a place that considers itself sovereign. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. I mean, both size of number of people, size of land, and duration. Yep, absolutely. And back, I mean, it originally was a protest thing back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Um, Prince Leonard um, was told by the Australian government you could only grow so much wheat, and he wanted to grow a lot more wheat. And so he fell back on ancient British law and so forth like that, declaring himself to be, uh, you know, his country to be a sovereign nation. And at some point during the, uh, I guess, letter writing back and forth between um, between himself, or Hutt River, that is, and, and the... Um, national camp capital in uh, canberra it was uh they referred to him as the they referred to him as hut river province principality which kind of gave him sort of de facto recognition if you will <laughs> so you know, once that having done that now they they themselves opened the door for for uh that, that sovereignty thing and uh so i guess it's probably important to if they don't want to do that and tell their clerks to pay closer attention i don't yeah. know yeah. <laughs> Yep. Sorry, boss. Yeah, oops. <laughs> oops. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, most of your income is from tourism, and I was looking at Maps Google, and well, it's kind of secluded out there. And so, for people who are interested in coming for a visit and want to taunt the nation's constable by bringing a bag of spinach or an onion because you know why would you not do that uh what's the best way for them for them to uh, get information about how to visit you if they just go to our website uh which is you know www.malasia.org um on the lower right of the main page it talks all about how to visit our country okay we yeah. average about 200 visitors a year um that come visit from literally all over the world as far you know, China in one direction, and I think as far away as Turkey or something in the other direction. And uh, so folks have come from all over the world to visit Malasia. We actually have um, eight, I think eight, scheduled tours a year, uh, once a month uh, from April through October. And uh, so because otherwise we just have folks just come rolling up the driveway pretty much every day. And uh, that gets kind of invasive. So we kind of had to tone it down a little bit. So we have eight scheduled tours a year, and folks just usually drop us a line and say, I'd like to um, like to come on your tour and such such date and come on let's do it <laughs> come visit that's, our country that's cool and the 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 from china to turkey is pretty amazing it, yeah all over the world really we've had so many people visit from foreign countries and it's it's really fantastic foreign i mean foreign to the united states that is sure and it's really sure. uh you know <laughs> well i mean that makes them foreign to you too yeah this is true so uh so, yeah, we already have some folks signed up for our next tour. We just had our last tour, which was uh, October. So that's our la this is October, so that's the last tour of the year. And so our next tour will be uh, in April of 2020, and we already have folks signed up for that. Um, so, so we're popular. Like I said, folks will actually plan their vacation about around visiting uh, Malasia. <laughs> that that's very cool. That's I'm I'm tickled about that. That's really neat. Uh, I'm going to shift gears here for a minute. I'm I'm going to ask you a couple of short answer questions. Nothing scary. Uh, just kind of a little bit of fun. And I think before we get there, I'm going to 
predict I know the answer of one of them. Um, of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, which one do you enjoy the most? Wait, what was the last one? Umami. <laughs> Probably sweet, I would think. <laughs> what is your favorite food? Spaghetti. What is your least favorite food? Uh, onions. What gets you excited? What's that? What gets you excited? Um, I don't know. Malasia actually gets me excited. What I can do with it, where, where we can go with this idea of having having our country. It's it's my my passion in life. So, I mean, I would definitely say that if I had to point to any one specific thing, it'd be my little country here. Okay. What turns you off? Closed-minded people. What sound do you love? What sound do I love? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, I don't really know. I don't think I've ever actually thought that. What sound do I love? Um, I don't know. Uh, like peaceful-type music. Okay. What's, specific what's, genre. Specific genre, just, yeah. What sound do you hate? Rap music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your favorite food indulgence? Favorite food indulgence. Um, I don't know. I tend to indulge a lot. Uh, I, I don't really know. Um, I mean, I hate to default back to what I was already talking about when I talked about spaghetti, but yeah, I, I really like loading up on any kind of pasta. Pasta is one of my favorite things. It really is. Pasta is a good thing. Uh, for people who are interested in at least learning about making a micronation, is there literature on this? Is there a book that you know of that you can recommend? Because <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, okay. Well, there actually are some books. If you go to Amazon and you just type in micronation, um, there's actually quite quite a few books on it. Um, I actually have a small website, uh, which is slightly separate from Malasia. I mean, it's it's hosted on webs.com. So you just go to micronations.webs.com, and it gives you a um, not a super brief, but not a super long um, kind of how-to things to think of beyond just the obvious stuff like you know a flag. But what about what kind of government and what's that really going to mean for you? You know that kind of thing. And uh, so yeah, micronations.webs.com. Um, off, uh, also. If someone's interested in starting their own micronation, they can just shoot me an email. And I'm always happy to uh, provide some advice and guidance. And, uh, of course, there's one of the things I always say is, you know, it helps to learn know a little bit about how governments work. And, and uh, so, you know, a quick look at just the websites of other countries um, besides the United States, because that's a lot of websites right there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> websites of other countries can kind of give you an idea of where to work. Uh, where to where to go as you're uh, as you're building your nation? What things to think about when it comes to sovereignty and and uh, you know what how how large of a shadow is your nation going to cast and what kind of population and all that kind of stuff. You know, I was just just occurred to me, and even as a project, if anyone is listening who is any of the I have I know there, there are homeschoolers who listen to this, but even teachers. This sounds like a really excellent idea, even to invent your own sovereign classroom, to go through the process of, because I think, well, if I remember reading correctly, you have a military background, so you have maybe a better sense than most people about what's going on government-wise, but 
there is so much that I think people don't even realize. If you're going to think about doing this, man, this is this is some heavy lifting. It it really can be, it, and of course, it it all depends on what you want to do with it. You know, where do you want to go with the idea? Uh, your your average micronationalist literally will start out with a name, maybe a flag, and uh, you know he or she is the king or queen or something along that line. And uh, then where do you go with that idea? Well, you know that was the question or I guess concept or something that you know that I asked myself back when I was 15, back in 1977, and that this is where I've gone with it. Been 42 years now, <laughs> so so uh, yeah, here, here's our country, and of course it, it is a work always a work in progress because nations are not static. Nations don't don't stay the same every single day. They they something is constantly changing. Um, so yeah, it really depends on where you want to go with it. We have it. We have had many. Uh, we, myself, and the first lady, my wife, um, have had many uh, uh, video Skype conversations with um, with schools that are that have put together um, micronations as a part of their curriculum, and uh, it's been it's a lot of fun. It really is. We have we have a really really good time. The kids are you know energetic and interested. Well, most some of them are, some of them are. Yeah. But uh, anyways, <laughs> you know, it's you can't kids. Hit them. <laughs> yeah, it kids. So, yeah, we, we've done quite a bit of communication because a lot of schools have thought of this as an idea all the way with Britain. I think we did one in Britain uh, and then, of course, all over the U.S. because they're closer, a little closer. So, yeah. And the, it, the the time change is easier to manage. It is much easier, much, much easier to manage. Uh, but I think I'm pretty sure we did one in, in Britain. I'd have to ask the first lady. She's she's smarter than me when it comes to remembering all this stuff. They seem to always just know the dates. Yeah. They, yeah. She most. Yeah. Do you remember that time you talked to so and so? No. Uh, that's really her job. <laughs> that's not my job. Well, it was partly cloudy. It was a Tuesday. It was 4.30 in the afternoon, and the bird flew in the window. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. If you say so, huh? Anyway. Uh, I, I meant to ask you, if I didn't ask you, what does what does the name Malassia mean? Does it... Does it... The, uh, Malassia has gone... The, the meaning of the name is it kind of goes back in the midst of time, uh, but currently the meaning of the name is a corruption of the Hawaiian word Malohia, which means harmony. So that is the official meaning of the name of Malasia right now. <laughs> and you are not alone on the planet using that name. No, that's why we have had to have different reasons for the meaning of the name. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that ancient Greek nation of Malasia that we don't really talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then we shall not continue. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've given me some addresses, you give me some websites, and that's what I really needed to get. And uh, you'll have uh, tours available on the website starting in April. Yes. And this is, I'm, I, I, someone, I, I know there's too much exposure on Facebook, but somebody in one of my feeds sent me or sent everybody <laughs> that he knows. Uh, a link to one of the videos, and this is just fascinating. It really was, and and the sense of humor and the playfulness is evident. But I also think that there is, I think there's a level of seriousness and and at least a place for dialogue and discussion to take place. And I think that's, I think that's a valuable contribution. So, congratulations to you for that. That's very true. Yeah, we, it, it, like I said, it's kind of bipolar. We have the sense of humor, and it's almost sort of a protective uh, coloration, if you will. Uh, but we do consider ourselves to be a serious nation, a sovereign nation, um, within our limits. And so, 
yeah, so it's kind of kind of both things. We have a good time with the idea of having our country. We don't want to get too serious. I mean, it's, life is fun to laugh at. So uh, you know, it's it's good. It's a good time, but um, we also take what we do here pretty seriously. After all, we've been doing it for forty two years. Yeah, <laughs> you're not taking that seriously. I don't know what you're doing wrong. <laughs> no, that's impressive. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, I've enjoyed the chat. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Links to the Republic of Malaysia's website will be on the show notes page for today, culinarylibertarian.com slash 59. You will also find the books President Obama mentioned on the Amazon page tab, as well as the tab for President Obama's own document about starting a micronation. During the recording, I forgot to ask two questions. The first was if the Malassians surrendered their citizenship, and the second was about the meaning of the colors of their flag. His answers were that they consider themselves dual Malassian slash U.S. citizens since the U.S. doesn't acknowledge they exist. The flag colors are horizontal light blue, white, and green. The light blue is for the sky. The white is, of course, for the snow on the mountains, which is mostly there, at least on mine. And the green is the ground in the spring. On the blog, there is a header for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's getting to be that time. Under that heading are most of the recipes I use or are good for Thanksgiving. I might have missed a few. Of particular note is the brine for the bird and the pumpkin cheesecake and chocolate mousse and my wife's family's dressing. No, not stuffing. And the recipe is simply spectacular. Perhaps the best treat is Friday Thanksgiving pizza and there'll be a recipe for that as well. Find that recipe and all the other ones at culinarylibertarian.com slash holiday. And while you're out there on the interwebs, join the Eating Liberty Facebook group where I'm there, a few chef friends are there as well, and some other good fine people and a couple of bakers. Show us your food, ask us some questions. If you want some help, we're looking forward to meeting you. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.